Forest Dirt Podcast post in-season tournament special. Tonight, I am not only joined by my lovely co-host, Twitter extraordinaire, at Boris Dirk Pod, Max Klotz. I am also joined by longtime lover, former NBA Players Association employee, and current assistant coach at Division Three Mullenberg College, Andy Gotnick. Andy, it is such a blessing to have you here. Um, and I just wanted to start off by asking you, how has being around basketball players 24-7 now for a living altered your perspective on NBA players and NBA teams. And I know the full-time synergy has the full-time synergy subscription has been a big deal for you. So just like update me on your basketball perspective. Two things. First, you're still not getting my, uh, my login. Second thing is <laughs> here as someone who is a avid podcast, man, when I see a podcast from you two drop, it is the first one I play on my drive to work and my drive home to work. And well, I actually work. So thank you for having me. Uh, <laughs> but in all honesty, it's the small things that I think have had a large impact on me through coaching at Muhlenberg, where when I was younger and even like last year, the year before, I thought all these like big moves on the court mattered so much. And the great players were the ones who can create off of like three dribble step backs or like five combo moves in, in one possession. But the things I've learned from, yes, my Synergy account and from coaching at Muhlenberg and watching different teams is that if you can succeed at doing one thing well and be really good at it, you can lead to a lot of success, not just for yourself, but for the team. So if you're a really good shooter, focus on being a really good shooter. Don't be like, all right, now I'm a good shooter. How do I figure out how to be a really good driver? If you want to be a really good player and you're good at one thing, be even better at that one thing and focus on how you can bring that to the team on the court and off the court is what I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like I've seen that with team building more recently, not just in the NBA. I feel like in the NFL too, they talk about like, don't just be satisfied with having the strength of your team be a strength and starting to look at other things, but like really build on that strength. Like the first thing that comes to mind is in the, this isn't a football podcast, but in the NFL, the Eagles are just constantly drafting defensive linemen. And like, it's always the strong part of their team and they're always cycling more guys through it. So I think that makes sense, both from like a team building perspective and then an individual skill perspective of like, your strength is your strength for a reason. And being able to build on that is like how you can get elite at something. Because when we're talking NBA, we're talking like elite of the elite. So just because you're good at something, you have to be like, you have to have an elite skill to make it to the NBA unless you're like super athletic and or that can be your elite skill. And then just like good at a few different things. Um, yeah, Drew, I don't know if you had a follow up to that too. Uh, makes a lot of sense. Uh, the Pacers have leaned into that a lot. Like, yes. You know, let's be the best point allowers in the world. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, but we're, we're going to talk a lot about the Pacers. Um, my other question for you is how much has the D3 game mimicked NBA success? Like how much is your dialogue with your head coach about maximizing layups, threes, free throws? Um, is the D3 game tactically much different no i would say it's really similar and we like to run an offense and we like to say like our offense is not the same every year it's about what the personnel is that year so if we have yeah. guys who are really good in spread pick and roll we're going to run a lot of spread pick and rolls um but what i've realized is that it's a lot about spacing and it's a lot about decision making so it's about having guys in the right spot on the court and that you want to take advantage of a advantage that's given to you, but you want to make sure that you have proper spacing before doing so. So if you rush into an action without the proper spacing, you're going to turn the ball over or you're going to take a contested layup against two, six, eight bigs while you're a smaller guard. But I would say it's more focusing on creating spacing before you take advantage of that spacing. 
Um, I think in the NBA, you definitely see that too, where the shot clock's dwindling and you have guys cutting through uh, the paint. You want to make sure that you have the proper spacing there for a guy like LeBron, for a guy like Tyrese the other night, like just seeing that guys who can create out of isolation sets, if you have the right spacing for them, I think it works at every level. Yeah. I've got a question about coaching and I, I don't know how interesting our, our listeners may find this, but I'm very interested in it is how do you feel like, or do you feel like you've been able to like find your voice as a coach? Because like someone coming from, I mean, do you play basketball in high school? I assume play basketball in high school, my five, seven stature stops there. <laughs> so what, what's the process like for kind of gaining the credibility and respect for the players where they can see you and like, hear you give them advice and take it as like, this guy's really trying to make me better and knows what he's talking about. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was really hard at first. I coached high school last year at my old high school. I coached at a summer camp for six years. So I've watched basketball like all of us. I've been a fan forever. So obviously I had this idea where like, Oh, I, this big basketball mind, I know everything. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do that. But in reality, I'm still young and I didn't really know as much as I thought I would coming in. So it was really Early on, I wanted to take a step back, learn a lot from the head coach, learn a lot from our our players, too. They're really smart players on the court, off the court. And I was really coming in, trying to understand what did they need from me and what can I bring that I'm really good at to the table. So um, for me, it was the early weeks about learning what our guys like to do off the court first, because you want to know who these these people are. You're going to be working with them a lot. But then also on the court, where do they best see themselves able to, to set themselves up for uh, success? So what I tried to do was watch a lot of tape about last year's team because we had a bunch of returners, too. Uh, so seeing where our guys were successful on the court and then see how we can be even more successful on the court this year with them. So if a guy was really good um, in in uh, transition, how can we get them out into transition more? If we have bigs who are really good passers, how can we get them in a situation where they're creating opportunities for other teammates too? So it was really about studying last year's team to help me focus more on this year's team, I would say. All right. Yeah. Like always, the answer is always grinding more tape, which is my, <laughs> that's my approach to draft scouting is just grind, grind tape without trying to like, you know, pay attention to too many different things at once. But yeah, that checks out. Yeah. Grinding tape, long hours, but you gotta love it. Yeah. And I think with the strengths thing, that's something that I've thought about the past couple drafts is like thinking about who are the best people at a skill in a draft. Like the reason I love Jordan Hawkins in this past draft is because I was like, he's the best shooter in the draft. And I feel like your past, your prospect, who's like the best something in the draft, usually works at least they might not be a superstar like Hawkins isn't going to be a superstar but he's going to be a valuable NBA player for a decade I think um or like the reason I fell in love with Jalen Williams the year before is I was like this guy's the best you know pick and roll ball handler in the draft um yeah. so I think that's a good way to sort of frame thinking about players in the NBA and coming into the NBA too over to the breakout star of the in-season tournament and probably the best passer from his draft a few years ago. Yes. Tyrese Halberton. Uh I think we've all we we've all we're all in on the on the in-season tournament, right? Like yep. this this was a success. Uh I for, I don't care. They'll figure out the court colors. Everything else about it has been great. Um and not starting a game at 2 p.m. Pacific time, that's the other one. Yes. And Max is now a self-described istist, ISTist. Um mm -hmm. and we're right off the bat like what are you guys taking from this lakers mickey mouse title <laughs> first of all the lakers this lebron ad era especially if they don't win another ring is just gonna be so weird to look back on where like they didn't get a parade for like the bubble championship but i do still firmly believe 
like when the season stopped, they were the best team in the league and everyone was picking them to win or they were the favorite to win the championship when that season stopped. So the fact that the favorite ended up winning the championship in the bubble, I feel like should legitimize that championship more, but we won't have to go down a tangent of the, of the Mickey ring. Um, but God, dude, you're so insecure about this, about that <laughs> bubble title, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, I think it shows that because they've had a kind of an uneven start to the season so far. And I think getting some of their wing players back healthy in Vanderbilt, Hachimura uh, was really valuable for them. Once again, they find a minimum guy and turned him into a valuable rotation player. They did it with Malik Monk. Uh, they did it with someone else I'm forgetting. And now, they're doing, now they're doing it with Cam Reddish, where oh, I watched... I watched Lonnie Walker. That's the one. I watched Cam Reddish on the Knicks for over a season. And he just was like, not my type of basketball player. Didn't play defense. Totally undisciplined on offense. Long twos galore. You watched him in Portland. I don't think you had much drew. I don't think you had much of a better experience with him, but somehow the LeBron Phil handy brain trust or whoever it is, their scouting department, whoever it is, who's like developing players for them really, I think is one of the, more undervalued assets in the NBA from a front office perspective, because they get these minimum guys. Even Christian Wood is playing way better than I think anyone would have anticipated, although he barely has been playing since they've gotten healthier. But I think what it showed me is their ceiling is still really high. And I still firmly believe they have the second highest ceiling in the West after Denver. Um, And it just showed like when you get into high leverage games and you have a healthy LeBron and a healthy AD, you can beat anyone. Can we get Austin Reeves back in the starting lineup? Um, I mean, those first two weeks, I know it wasn't the best start, but the guy is a secondary ball handler for the Lakers coming off of LeBron, and I think it just creates offense for himself and for others. And I, at the end of shot clock, when he can create that little separation with like a like a little bump, I know I saw a clip of Richard Jefferson during the final saying like, "Oh, that boy's shifty" or something like that. And like he's just he's just really great. He's really great at creating separation for himself, and then really quick release too at the top of the shot. So I think it's time that we get the Lakers second best ball handler back in their starting lineup. Yeah. Yeah. I also think, um, oh my God, I almost called him Caruso. That is fucked up. Reeves has gotten like Caruso. Reeves has gotten more and more athletic since he got to the league. The closing speed on some of his drives, I was, I was taken aback last night. Um, like he's getting to the rim with force uh, in a way that despite all his tools, I didn't, see as much last year um but but the free throws have always been pretty good with him like he is a rim pressure guy and what i love about him he kind of has that j-dub mentality like i will shoot a three and i have good three-point touch but it's not what i want most what i want most is high percentage opportunities at the rim and everything comes out of that the passing game and he has such great feel he rebounds for them he's like a five-tool guy for the lakers uh so i'm with you and just to underscore the cam reddish story like i think this is underratedly one of the most like beautiful things happening in the league right now. Uh, there's that famous video of like 16 year old Anthony Edwards, like at a team USA hotel when they're in high school, or maybe actually it's later. It might be when Ant was like more like toward the Georgia period um, when Cam Reddish's stock had fallen a little bit, like he was the third fiddle at Duke, maybe struggling to make it in the league already. Um, I can't remember the timeline, but Ant has said uh, time and time again, that Cam Reddish was the toughest bucket in that class. Um, And there was a long period of time um, 
I, I forget what year it was that, that Cam Reddish was the face of that, of his recruiting class and was considered yep. like a Paul George type superstar on the way. Um, the offense hasn't come yet for him. It's been amazing to see him find a role, just taking on the toughest perimeter assignment. Uh, LeBron must look at him and say, Hey man, like your frame reminds me of mine, six, eight, seven, one wingspan, like shoulders, uh, almost up to your head like with these tools you can last in the league just just make threes and guard hard and and he's found a home for them three blocks in about 20 minutes yesterday i think he's also on like the perfect team to be yeah. really good at shooting like if he can just become a consistent three-point shooter with guys like lebron creating double teams guys like ad if the ball gets thrown to him double team reeves in the playoffs is gonna get thrown some double teams if he gets it going like if you can just be open make the open threes and then also guard well on the other end i think there's a really good spot for him on that team in the regular season and also in the postseason yeah and getting back uh also on reeves i just looked up his uh splits by month and his scoring has gone up every month first in october four games but he averaged 10 points a game yeah four rebounds, two assists. November, 14 points a game, five rebounds, five assists. Oct- uh, December, and only three games, and actually fewer minutes, probably because some of them were blowouts and he didn't have to play the whole game. 18 points, five rebounds, three assists. He's starting to get back towards that form he showed in the playoffs. And yeah, I mean, they're just, they're they're suddenly a very deep team since they've gotten healthy. Like, I mean, Russell... I don't think any of us are huge Russell fans, but he has nights that he can sort of like, you know, float the boat offensively. I don't think he's the long-term answer there at point guard. If Vincent can come back, get healthy, rediscover his shot. I know Andy's a huge Vincent fan. We all loved how he looked in the playoffs for Miami last year. So far in LA, he's been terrible, but has only played a handful of games. Um, If he can get back, give a little bit of that like point of attack, defense, spacing element. And then you combine that with Reeves, Take your pick of whichever wing guy has it going between Vanderbilt, Reddish, Rui, um, Christie even, and then LeBron and AD. And then I think, I mean, we've gone a long time without really talking about LeBron and AD, but AD in the in wait, season. Wait, wait, wait. But before we get, before we get to the, the leaders of the pack, I just want to say this. If you told me that uh, Gabe Vincent would basically be a no-show for the first quarter of the season uh, and... Jared Vanderbilt's not even sniffing 20 minutes and Jalen hood Jafino's not ready to play as a rookie. I'd be like, Oh, it's, it's a shit show. Like LeBron is 38 about to turn 39. He, he can't do it all. Um, the fact that they've gotten a pretty good D'Lo that Reeves has continued to improve the reddish thing, touring Prince on the right nights, a little bit of Seawood scoring against bad teams. Like, it's just crazy how they plug these holes. Um, so yeah, like the the Palenka legacy has just been a wild roller coaster to follow. Um, and now over to AD, forty and twenty, the AD game, screaming I'm him. Uh, yeah, I mean, like like I remember when Bob Bulgaris, our our one of our favorite uh, NBA nerds, uh, he tweeted last year deep into the playoffs that. Basically, Jokic and AD were in a tier of their own as playoff players. And then it was like a big gap, at least in his models. You know, he's got his models. Uh, and then you take a, take a, another step down and you've got like LeBron, Jimmy, Tatum. Um, but a lot of really smart basketball people have been on this hill now that, that like you can make fun of AD. The jumper might never come back. Uh, he might not be an alpha and therefore you really need him to be your number two. Um and that's what he is. And he's an elite number two with one of the alphas of all alphas. And 
it's great to see AD healthy and dominating the way he did uh, when it mattered most. Yeah. yeah, when he was going downhill and attacking the rim against guys like Miles Turner, when there's not many backup bigs on that team that you can throw at Anthony Davis, I think these nights are just something that we have to get used to, especially yeah. if the regular season and come playoff time, if we're facing teams that don't have bigs that can match up with Anthony Davis. If he's going at these bigs down low, he can have crazy nights like this. And also five assists last night too, second most yeah. on the team during the game. Like That's what I was saying, where if he's going at them like this, putting up 41 points, they're going to send two guys at him. And then if you have the right guys on the court from the Lakers, LeBron slashing, Reeves creating off, off ball too, and then other shooters like Reddish too, it's a hard team to beat. Yeah, Max. and But Max, also, well, before I give you the baton, I like this point AD thing that they mess around with on the couple minutes they're resting LeBron. I don't even, like, AD is not like a point center. That's like, that. that's not his natural game. He's he's a score first guy through and through um, offensively. But I really like just giving him the ball uh, to dribble up the court and saying, like, lock in, dude. Like, we want the ball in your hands. When LeBron's not on the floor, like, you are the hub. Um, even if you're not a six-assist-a-game guy, like, you're not Sabonis, you're not Jokic, you're not even Bam. But you're, the force you put on the rim uh, gets us good opportunities. And, like, we, like, I think it just activates his energy offensively when you force him to dribble the ball in ways that he used to do more in New Orleans. Yeah. And other stat for Anthony Davis, along with the 41 points, 20 rebounds, five assists, what was it, three or four blocks, was one look in his eyes that I don't think I've ever seen him have before. (laughs) Yeah. Because they cut to him midpoint through the fourth quarter, and he was just like foaming at the mouth, like crazy eyes, had like a Kevin Garnett look on his face. I don't know if he's got big plans for the 500,000 or something, but I have never seen that look on his face before. And when you have that AD, he's a top five player, I think. Um, But you know, usually know pretty early in a game, whether you're going to get 40 point AD or like 15 to 17 point AD and them sort of getting him involved early against a Pacers team that really aside from Miles Turner just has no presence on the inside and Giannis kind of dominated against them too. They just couldn't slow the Pacers down enough on the other end for it to matter. Um, but yeah, I mean, we can, pro- we can probably start shifting the conversation a bit to the Pacers, although we should also say LeBron Wait. incredible. Yes. I mean, judge Drudy just wanted to make some comments on what LeBron has done for the court of public opinion, uh, because I've been hearing a lot of boomers and maybe some more enlightened zoomers or sorry zoomers are all pro lebron but like the the older folks that have been so set on mj's the guy forever um what lebron's doing at 38 and god willing will continue into his 39th year on this planet is just absurd and the longevity is starting to change some things for me i mean i, I like i i'm still mj but I sent out some texts to the people I love that like what LeBron is doing right now and an in-season title isn't going to be the difference for me, but he's chipping away. He's chipping away because it is, he's still the smartest guy in every game. Like I, it's him and Jokic who, who else is processing, who else is dominating be- between the ears like those two. Yeah. When it comes June next year, we're in the NBA finals. How many players besides LeBron would you take for for your team this is we have a group text about the nba and this is what i sent i was like if it's one game 
and I know he's healthy. Everyone's healthy. Darius Garland. <laughs> if no, it's uh, no it's, it's it's just hard to argue. After last night, it's like, how do you how do you say LeBron isn't one of the first names we're talking? Um, you know, I think Jokic Jokic is one. Jokic um, is one. That's fine. And, and but like LeBron versus Giannis is way harder than it felt two years ago. Which is one, crazy because yeah. Giannis should be getting better and LeBron should be getting worse. It kind of feels like it's the opposite. And Giannis is getting better. Giannis is having a career high efficiency year in large part because he's playing with Dame and he has a lot more space to work with than before. But I mean, I can read you some categories that LeBron is averaging a career high in <laughs> in his 21st season, is it? Career high three-point percentage so far. Career high two-point percentage. Career high effective field goal percentage, um, and just career gen- high means general. Yeah, generally his efficiency is just like the best it's ever been, which is insane. And honestly, like last night was like a fine LeBron game. They didn't really need him yeah. to do that much because AD was so good. I will say my heart stopped a bit when it looked like he got hurt, but seems like he's fine. Um, but that's that's why LeBron isn't like a top five player over the course of the season, just because he's going to get banged up more than some of these other guys. But no, I firmly believe one do or die game. The only guy who I want over him is Jokic right now. If I know he's fully healthy and he looks the best he's looked since 2021. And back to the basketball court of public opinion, I'm making sense of it this way. I think I wasn't as smart as you. Like I didn't expect the Lakers to prioritize the in-season tournament. When I heard it was starting this year, I was like, it's not made for a team like the Lakers who need to preserve their injury prone older guys. Um, You know, like LeBron, they said they were going to load manage LeBron and the, for LeBron's teams that, you know, the playoffs, uh, a deep run is always the goal. And like regular season is just like survive. If we get into the tournament, we have a chance. Uh, so I didn't, I did not expect the Lakers to be, to take this so seriously. And I think that's what's blown me away is like LeBron didn't need this. Um, in, in fact, he's going to get clowned for it. If the Lakers don't make a deep run, uh, it'll, it'll, it'll diminish the importance of this, win in a lot of people's eyes but just because lebron is the alpha of the league and knew that all eyes would be on this game last night he needed it he still has that killer in him he's like if it's if it's on national television and it's the only game on i have to be dominating it and that i think that's what was so eye-opening about the lakers run is that he still he still has that switch to flip um, yeah, it was really the New Orleans game, too, because like, yeah, yesterday was like a decent game, but the New Orleans game, he just completely sucked the life out of them, particularly Zion. He just like completely punked Zion in that game. And we're not going to talk about Zion today, but yeah, the okay, committee's concerned. I have some crazy, harsh feelings about Indiana. Um, since we don't have any Pacers fans that listen to this podcast, I was going to go hog wild. Um, but first, Except I'm going to I'm, I'm going to toss it over to you guys. Yeah, I'm just trying to piss off Caitlin Cooper so bad that she wants to come on the pod. What do you guys think? Um, you know, everybody I saw online seemed to be picking the Pacers because it was fun to do. Um, I'm proud to say I put some money on the Lakers um, and my bank account's looking pretty nice. Um, but Pacers moving forward. Thoughts? One of my takes for later in the pod was about the Pacers and about something about one individual player and I'll just say it now. 
in terms of like what they're missing, you know, we saw we saw Woj on NBA Countdown talking about like they're out there looking for a two-way forward that can play both ends there. But I think the answer is on their team. He was hurt for this game and he's only played 18 minutes a game this year. I think it's Andrew Nemard. I think he's not the answer to everything like flipping for them and they're a title contending team. But I think Andrew Nemard needs to be playing more than 18 minutes a game. He's a great player on both ends of the floor. He can create his own shot off the bounce. He's a versatile defender who can guard up up a size two and 18 minutes a game for a guy who is who is young on a on a young team needs more minutes than that. Yeah, I think internally they're probably hoping that Jarris Walker can be that athletic forward for them. Um, I was not high on the Jarris Walker train. Andy, I believe you were just like extremely low on the Jarris Walker train. Out. Out. Just completely out. Just not even acknowledging the existence of the train. Um, and But how's the Grady Dick hive looking? Not, not great. It's we're, not great. Honestly, we're being patient. We're being it's, patient. it's really difficult to evaluate our draft takes because so many of these guys just don't play like Taylor Hendricks doesn't play Grady Dick doesn't play city Sissoko. Let's not even mention him. I don't even know if he plays in the G league. Uh, but I think with Indiana there, what they showed is their offense is good enough that if it's a team that can, I think if it's a team that can abuse you inside, um, they're going to get worn down over a seven game series. Like I think, I think they'd have a better chance of beating, Maybe this is a little crazy to say, but it feels like Boston is less equipped to beat them up inside than a team like Milwaukee is, because I feel like Giannis would wear them down over the course of a seven game series. And he's just really scored at will against them this season when they've played, even though they've lost both those games. So maybe it's a faulty argument to stand on. But I mean, they're way ahead of schedule coming into this year. Both of them in Orlando, I think we looked at as like they could push for the play-in. Um, and now we're talking about them as top four seeds and they've just sort of accelerated their timeline. But I do want to get to like a Halliburton discussion of how many guards are we taking over him right now. And Drew, I don't know if you have any more points you want to make on Indiana or if you want to just get right into that. Because I feel like watching Halliburton right now feels a lot like watching Steph in 2013, where Ooh. it's just like... Yeah, maybe I should have saved that for our spicy takes later, but it's fine. It's fine. That was great. That it feels like that it has the sort of electricity. He's I don't think he's going to be like a top 10 all time player like Steph is, but it has that electricity of like when you saw Steph drop 54 against the Knicks and it was like, we really haven't seen anything quite like this before. Um, and Halliburton is almost like he's like a mix of Steve Nash with some more of the like shooting tendencies of Steph. Um, but a little penny yeah. in there. I, I think uh, this is my, this is my take. My take is the Pacers are just fine. Cause they, it looks like they have a top, a bona fide top 15 guy in the league. Who's only getting better night by night somehow leads the league and assist and doesn't turn the ball over. Um, I don't like the rest of the roster and I I've been out on Obi Toppin since day one. I think he's just so clunky defensively and the processing just isn't there. Um, yeah. teams with a lot of hardcore twos and fours tend to not be in great shape, right? Like we've, we've just, we're at a point now in the league's progression where you want elite facilitators, versatile wings, and like bigs that are either great rim protectors or very switchable. Um, Tyrese and miles Turner, awesome two player, uh, two, two man, like you know start awesome two-man game right there however like guys like obi um 
Jairus Walker, who I, I'm with you on. I, I, I will rarely ditch a player this quickly, but I think I was wrong about Ben Matherin. Like, I, I think I don't think he's a winning player yeah. and he's he hasn't committed to the dirty work and the physicality of the game in the way I expected him to, which is disappointing because he's a, he has a great frame and he's a really good athlete, but he's playing like Jordan Clarkson. Um, yeah, we were both. Not, yeah. So I'm with Andy on the, on the Nemhard thing. Like I think Nemhard has so much untapped value for them and like, at least play him. If, if, if you don't think he's a long-term fit with Halliburton, which I'm not convinced that he isn't at least play him and help his trade value. I think so many teams in the league right now are victims of their own coaches decisions. And Nemhard is super talented and can put up numbers. Um, and I, and I just like the way he defends for his size. I think it's important though for the Pacers, like they're having this incredible season. They made it to the finals of the in-season tournament. They're having all these, these eyes on them now to still be patient with it. If they rush into this big trade and trade a lot of assets, yeah. a lot of picks for a two-way player next to Halliburton, that might make them a four seed, but not that next level. Yeah. Now, if that's worth it for them right now, I think a team like the Kings who did that for Sabonis, like, yeah, made the playoffs really, really exciting year last year, but where are they right now? I think the Pacers have a really great player, as you said, a top 15 star right now. They have a lot of really good young players that some people like, some people don't. But if they're patient with it, if they continue drafting well, if they can, if they continue making smart signings like like a, a, a Bruce Brown, I think there's a lot of potential there to just be patient, ride the road with them, and then good things will happen later on. Yeah, and I do think they have, just with their offense, they have a chance to win any playoff series that they're in if they get hot because, like, there's just not that many teams that can keep up with you scoring 130, uh, which is what they're going to do if like their offense is clicking. And I think we saw that in sort of a really highly competitive environment, uh, Halliburton's game elevates. And we'll see in a playoff series where, you know, if they play a team like Miami, I think, I, I mean, I would, it's one of my takes, I feel like, is that I would still pick Miami over like most teams in the East, except uh, a healthy Boston. And I guess, Milwaukee if we can see a little more from them that's not a take I know that's, it's that's just reality say you'll take them over Boston say I'm you'll such, take them over Boston I'm such a Boston hater that that if you're taking Boston over Miami that's more of a take to me but <laughs> whatever listen this is this is um I just I think Miles Turner is a really good player but he's not the second best player on a really good team mm-hmm. and who and like you just can't go far in the league with Bruce Brown as your third best player. And I'm a Bruce Brown fan. Uh it's that that two through twelve is just not good enough. And mm-hmm. you're never in bad shape when you have a guy as good as Halliburton. But like Andy said, you're at risk of being in that no man's land. I'm not vouching for tanking. I'm just saying what's next i don't know this is a team that could lose in the play-in i really do believe that um so so i think i feel for that fan base i think darker days are ahead than Mm. than it feels after the last week can we talk real quick about how many guards we're taking over halliburton because i think yeah we can agree on luca right yep yep scoot (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, all right um yeah luca um this year Steph or are we not agreeing on that I'm uh, still Steph. okay yeah I'm going Steph for this year um SGA I'm taking SGA for the defense as I think I think so as well but it feels like going forward Halliburton's game is gonna like expand in different ways 
where he's just got this novelty to him. I mean, they both have a novelty to them, but Shay, we've seen like herky jerky scores before. I don't know if we've quite seen a Halliburton before. This year, I think I'd rather have Shea because his defense is further along, but I don't know if Halliburton will make strides on defense as his career goes. But that one's very tough for me. Like the, the Shea-Halliburton-Edwards trio is difficult for me, although I think we'd probably all agree Edwards would be at the bottom of that trio. Um, I'm just glad I was on the Halliburton over Ant train before that take got a little bit room temperature. Yeah. Um, is there anyone else you'd throw in there? Aside from like Booker, I'm a, I've become a real Booker fan, and mm-hmm. I, I'm taking Booker this season over Halliburton. But you know, for the next five years, give me Tyrese. Yeah, point guard Booker. That's a that's a point guard Booker to you. Yeah, yes sir. That's it. Um, yeah, but yeah, we we love we love Tyrese. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the Pacers are more stuck in no man's land uh, than a lot of Pacers fans will want to believe. Um, but whatever, I'd, I'd rather have their roster than the Blazers right now. That goes without saying. One thing just to tie these two teams together. If TJ McConnell was on the Los Angeles Lakers, would they be your finals favorite? Because <laughs> they might uh, be for me. Nope. I will not. <laughs> Sorry. We'll not take the bait. Um, all right. Uh, let's go over to firing off some takes. I just told you guys to come here with three sizzly things to talk about. Um, Andy's already grinning. This is going to be fun. Uh, and Max, I want you to start off with the take that you were itching most to drop on us. Um, the Timberwolves this year are the 2021 Utah Jazz. The West leading, league leading win total. But I just don't trust them in the playoffs. And that might not be that much of a scorcher since we've seen Rudy like, you know, just have his issues in the playoffs because Gobert is not a one-on-one scorer who can like really exploit mismatches. But I think they're going to win a lot of regular season games. And I think they're kind of built to be a regular season juggernaut with Gobert. I think Towns is more of a regular season player. Um, And I'm not sure that I trust their offense and creation enough in the playoffs that they're, that I really think of them as a finals contender in the West. Like I think in a playoff series against the Lakers, I'd still take the Lakers, a fully healthy Suns team. I think I'd take the Suns. Hell if, I mean, the Clippers have been looking better as of late. Like I know Andy's Andy's grimacing now, but if the Clippers get into a series with Minnesota, I think that'd be interesting. Um, But yeah, I think they're the jazz from a few years ago. And the thing that I think could be interesting for them is uh, potentially a trade for DeJounte Murray. Um, I think kind of doubling down on the defensive identity, though his defense has slipped in the last few years, but I feel like if you put him in an environment where that is valued more highly, really sort of committing to full defense between DeJounte, Anthony Edwards, McDaniels, and Gobert, if you're just like, we're going to be absolutely elite defensively at four or five of our starting positions, move Cat out of there. Uh, that I think raises their ceiling, but as is, I think they are regular season juggernaut, but paper tiger, which might not be that much of a sizzler, but wanted to throw it out there. I could not agree more with that take. Um, I think when it comes to playoff time, as you said, like creation is key and having two guys that can do it, I think is really important. Like we saw with, with, uh, Denver last year, if Jokic needed a break, a healthy Jamal Murray is a 
incredible player that can do it as well. And I think with Minnesota, they have great role players. I Gobert's having a better year. Having McDaniels back is awesome defensively. Ant is a star, but do you trust Mike Connolly to be that secondary playmaker for them? In the regular season, yes. Some playoff games, maybe, but I don't know if he's a better option than some of those other teams you said with L.A., having LeBron, A.D., Reeves with the Suns, having Booker and Durant, and I'll stop there with those two. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I think it's a tough route for them come playoff time. You forgot Eric Gordon. Uh, I think the 17-4 and four means very little to me so i i'm i'm totally with you and i've think i've mentioned this before i just really worry about upstart teams who can't play their five best guys easily um and conley means so much to go bear um but i i think conley's become a bit of a defensive liability as you pointed out like that that point guard position is kind of where they give stuff back on defense uh that and obviously cat um who's been below average his whole career um i i just think yeah i i I don't see how this team maintains this winning pace or makes a deep run uh just with the top level talent in the west um i'm gonna need more of like a 60 game sample before i reevaluate that opinion on the positive side though for minnesota if I'm wrong and this first quarter of the season really turns out to mean something big for them, I think it's going to have a lot to do with the head coach. I think there's a chance that Chris Finch is really special. I To go from the no man's land the Wolves were in a couple of years ago when Jimmy left and the famous, you know, playing for the, sec- the, the second stringers and embarrassing Wiggins and Cat. I just think Finch has done an amazing job getting Anthony Edwards to defend, getting Cat to accept a smaller role with Ant as the clear face of the franchise now, um, the defensive structure, uh, and even the way that they showed some stuff against the Nuggets last year. Like it is a really competitive Minnesota team. I just agree with you. I have real doubts about the the long term ceiling, Andy. What have you got for us? I was going to start with my Nemard take, but now that that's been naturally taken into the universe, I'm going with the take I've had coming into the season that is not looking bad, but not looking great. It's looking fine as a positive for everyone. I'm a Franz over Paolo guy, and I will stand on that take this season. They're averaging the same the same amount of points this year. Paolo's actually averaging a like 0.3 more assists this year than Franz, I think it was. But I'm still a little higher on Franz's ceiling. And this is not a diss Apollo. I love Apollo. I love the magic. I am a huge magic guy. Um, I just think Franz's ability to create out of pick and rolls and create off ball makes him a little bit higher of a player for me offensively. Um, In terms of like what I was looking at on synergy, pick and roll including passes. And when the defense commits, Franz is higher in, in uh, both of them. And this season, actually, Franz has a higher isolation rate than Paulo at a lower amount of isolations. So that can cancel that out a little bit. But um, in terms of the playmaking from Franz for other people, I am still going to stand on Franz Island and I am proud to be the owner of Franz Island. I can respect that. I, I'm more of, I, I'm a, 
huge on Paolo guy. He was, I had him number one in the draft last year. I see like Pistons, Blake Griffin with a little bit more athleticism and no injury concerns, which is an all NBA level player. And I will say watching, I didn't watch the magic Cavs game the other night, but seeing the highlights of Paolo's 42 is like one of the more impressive highlight tapes you'll see from a young player. Um, just in terms of the variety of the ways he was scoring from the mid range, overpowering people to the basket. I think I would slightly take Paolo because I really value strength as like a, as an NBA attribute. And I think he's going to have that sort of, um, LeBron esque ability to just overpower people. He doesn't have the visionary, like playmaking that LeBron does. He's a good playmaker for his size, but more like a Blake Griffin than a LeBron. But I do think he is someone who's going to have a physical edge. I should I shouldn't invoke LeBron. He's going to have a physical edge over almost everyone he goes against for his entire career and I think that that's something that you can't really like just bargain away with Franz. Um Franz has a higher shooting ceiling, Franz has a higher defensive ceiling, but I think Paolo is going to have an undeniableness to his game uh, in terms of his force and his ability to just kind of get wherever he wants against anyone that uh, is just really hard to find. So that's what I why I really liked him coming out of college, just because of his size and ability to move at his size and how I think his body's going to develop over time into one of the like more powerful players in the league. That's That's all very fair, and I agree with that. I think another thing, to dive more into Franz and the fit on the Magic, I think the pace that they play with, with a guy like Anthony Black, when Markel comes back, I think with his ability to push the ball up the floor, it fits that kind of style more with the way that, that the Magic play and playing fast. And I would love to see a Magic Indiana playoff series that just randomly flew into my head. But could you imagine that kind of matchup there? But the the larger story here is that I, lo- I love the Magic. I, th- I think Franz and Paolo are going to be an incredible duo for years to come, which is not a take at all. But the island I'm still standing on is Franz based on his ability to create for others and his his uh, off-ball play. Yeah. If you had a crystal ball and you told me Paolo is for sure not a number one on a contender, which, you know, safe bet is that he isn't because the vast majority of guys, no matter how talented or not, I would agree with you. But I think Paolo still has that, potential outcome of like leader on a really good team because of the passing ability. Uh, Max, you mentioned the physicality, like that's really the biggest disparity between the two players right now. Like Paolo is getting to the line two more times a game. Uh, I'd love to see him make 70% of them. He's getting there. Uh, But yeah, I just, I I think it's the best case outcomes for Paolo that where I'm still riding with him because of, yeah, just the way he makes guys better. Um, But if you told me neither of them is your number one guy, I'm taking Franz because of the defense and because of the additive like secondary skills uh, that he brings to the table. Yeah, Franz totally, totally with you on the magic. Franz can fit into more situations for sure, which yeah. might be an argument to take him if you're if you're starting with the baseline that neither is going to be a, a number one option. But uh, yeah, I just love the the Palo ceiling. Uh, in magic. Speaking of just lost to the team that I'm now picking to get out of the East. And yes, this is my first take of the night. Since I said that the Cleveland Cavaliers 
were my dark horse pick in the East. They've just rattled off three clean wins, shutting teams down. Jared Allen and Evan Mobley playing the regular season defense that their smaller guards need. Um, and Cleveland now sits at 13 and nine. The lineup stats are starting to look good. Struce is rebounding, hitting threes, doing Struce things. And I, to save humanity, I'm still going Boston, right? Like if this is like life or death, you've got to make the right pick. Sorry, Boston or Milwaukee. Like I'll, I'll pick one of those top two if, if I need to get it right um, for the good of the universe. But if I open DraftKings and tell you that to get out of the East now, Boston is plus 160, Milwaukee's plus 185, the Sixers are plus 550, and Cleveland is plus 1300, the bet is very easy for me. Uh, mm-hmm. you're, the value is 100% in Cleveland. Um, Donovan Mitchell has another great playoff run coming. I will stand on business. Uh, Darius Garland... I, I love him. I think he he's not that far behind Halliburton, just in terms of getting great shots for the guys around him. Um, Halliburton's a, a better player. I don't want, don't read into that. But um, Mobley, the shooting still hasn't come, and there are still spacing con- concerns, but Struess makes a lot of that much simpler. Um, I just really believe in in the in in the ceiling of this Cleveland team. Um, and 13 and nine, isn't even as good as I expected them to be 22 games in. Um, but the Celtics are just, they're a bunch of head cases. I, I like the way, uh, Cleveland matches up with Milwaukee. If that ends up being the matchup. Um, and yeah, my, my money's on Cleveland doing something special this year. Wow. I'm with you on that. I had. Cleveland third, I believe, in the East coming into the season. And that was fully a bet on Garland taking that next step, which he has. And I couldn't be more of a fan of him, too. I think his ability playing next to Mitchell, playing pick and roll with Mobley, with Allen, is just incredible. I love the fit of that team. Signing Struce this summer has been awesome. Having another three-point shooter on the perimeter with them is great. And also six assists in that game, too. Like, just doing, doing everything for them. Um, I don't know if I'm taking them out of the East, just looking at that box score, still zero attempted threes from, from Mobley in that game. And I couldn't be more of a, of a Mobley fan, but I think for them to take that next step, they need some perimeter shooting from their bigs there. If they want to have Allen play more on the bench come playoff time in the fourth quarter and have spacing around Mobley, that could work too. But to take that next step, playing next to Mitchell, playing next to Garland, having Mobley to be able to be, I don't know, attempting four threes a game, three threes a game. I think that would be the next step for this team. Yeah. I also was fairly high on Cleveland as a regular season team, and they had a very combination of a brutal difficulty to the schedule to start the season and guys missing time, which I think is why they've gotten on track more recently. But I don't have much faith in the Mobley Allen front court in the playoffs. Um, like Mobley, Mobley's still improving, but I still don't really trust him to, you know, make a scoring play from like the short mid range. And Jared Allen, I I don't know. Maybe it's just too ingrained in my mind seeing Mitchell Robinson just completely eat his lunch in the playoffs last year. Yeah, I was I was gonna say you're you're a Knicks fan, all right. You you saw you saw my client under very uh, rare circumstances, <laughs> but. I don't mind the take. It sort of ties into one of mine about Boston 
which is that Kristaps Porzingis is the single most important swing piece in the title race this year. Um, I think if they have him healthy, they're pretty much unguardable and are really good on defense. But without him, I don't know if I'd pick him to get out of the second round. So, like, I think they may be a walk to the finals team if they stay healthy in the East because I don't <clears throat> see. You said walk? I said walk. That's- Oh my um, god, dude! Pat Riley, Pat Riley is playing this in the locker room. <laughs> that's the hotter take than saying then Kristaps. Yeah. Swing oh my god! I've been oh. as a as a certified Boston hater. I've been pretty terrified every time I've seen them play healthy. But then I saw them play against Indiana without Kristaps, and I'm like, oh yeah, this is last year's team, but worse. So, yeah. well, the disaster Milwaukee Bucks are just f- fifteen and seven, slowly figuring it out. I mean, I know. Walk, put some respect on the Greek freak. I love, I love the Greek freak. I love the Bucks. It's just, it's still, I know they're still figuring it out and this will change. I don't think they can, I don't think the Bucks can make the finals without upgrading the Malik Beasley mm-hmm. piece of their lineup. Um, I just think they really struggle to contain dribble penetration. Maybe this is another spicy take. I'm not sure, but I just, the Dame Malik Beasley backcourt, I think, isn't strong enough. And Chris Middleton, too. That defensive triumvirate, I think, is a lot to overcome and make the finals. I think it's possible for them to overlap to upgrade one of those spots, you know, combine Bobby Portis and if a yeah. team really likes Bo Champ or Andre Jackson, you can because they have no picks, but they can at least trade one of their young guys for even like Royce O'Neal from the Nets, although Andy, I don't know if actually I haven't been watching the Nets much this year, but <laughs> Royce <Hey>. O'Neal. <laughs> um, I thought they were in the ABA this year. <laughs> we have the same record as Max's beloved Knicks, but we'll get into that later. Yeah, I know. Oh, okay. There's Nets. All right. There's Nets corner coming up. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I just think, and I think Porzingis is, is the Celtics' second most important player. I mean, when I say most important swing piece, obviously, like, if Jokic gets hurt, that's the swing between, like, yeah. the favorite in the West and a team that would lose to, like, 10 teams in the West in a playoff series. But Porzingis just completely changes the way they play because when you – they're just the driving lanes. They get it to the hoop so easily when he's out there. Um, yeah. And when he's not yeah. out there, they're just not the same team, and I don't trust their bench at all, so – yeah, that was a bit of a convoluted take, and maybe I found the real spicy one halfway through, but that's how I'm feeling. I think Porzingis, like you said, could cause Jared Allen uh, similarly important but very different problems to what Mitchell Robinson did last year. Um, obviously, the best Jared Allen is in the paint, protecting the rim. But we're now at a point with the Celtics where it's clear Derek White and Drew Holiday have to be on the floor when it matters. And I, I just like the way that enables Garland and Mitchell to play together. And um, I'm just taking Garland and Mitchell as a one, two offensive engine punch over Tatum and Brown. I just Mm. am. Um, And if it's Milwaukee, nobody's shutting down Giannis, but Mobley can make him think more than most. Um, To your point though, uh, whether it's the Celtics, the Cavs, it's just like where the Celtics are throwing Derek White at you for 39 minutes in a playoff game. With the Bucks, it's just a little bit too much. Pat Connaughton, Malik Beasley, like these these campaigny 
you know, like backcourt guys that that championship teams were paying their top stars the most money uh, struggle to patch together those ancillary minutes. And that could come back to bite Milwaukee for sure if they're not getting peak Dame time and peaks locked in Giannis. And it still might not be enough because of how deep some of these teams are. But you have to think, too, I, I definitely agree with that. You have to think, too, that in the playoffs, rotations will definitely shrink a lot more. And the ball is going to be in Dame's hand a lot more. The ball is going to be in Giannis's hand a lot more. So I think yeah. the thing that's been helping the Celtics a lot this year is their depth. It may be not off the bench, but their starting lineup is as deep as it gets. But yeah. at the end of the day, when the shot clock's going down, it's the fourth quarter in game six of an MB, of an Eastern Conference semifinal game, and Boston and Milwaukee are playing, I'm still going to Damon Giannis over Tatum and Brown, and I'm still going to Damon Giannis over Garland and Mitchell, despite me loving Tatum Ma- and Brown. Maxi and Embiid, here's your chance. What do you want to say about the Sixers? I am now a Sixers supporter after some off-season, <laughs> season changes. Um, love Maxi. He is carrying my fancy team, uh, which is another positive. Um, but I do love the Sixers. I just don't love them as a playoff team. I love them as a regular season team, kind of how Max was talking about the Timberwolves there, where they can really dominate defensively and offensively in the regular season. But when yeah. the game slows down is Maxi, who's incredible. Love him taking that next step. Are we ready for Maxi to have the ball? Because um, we know perimeter guys are really dominating the ball. Uh, when when the shot clock's going down, except what we saw with with uh, Jokic in the finals. Yeah, I just think I have real doubts about Tatum and Embiid at the point at the moment of truth. Now, like, I'll take Donovan Mitchell's best playoff moments with pretty much anyone in the East. As rough as these last couple of years of of Donovan Mitchell playoffs have been, um, the East is so wide open, and. That makes it even funnier to talk about two of the most mid teams in basketball right now. The New Yorkers, Nets and Knicks. Andy, I told you that we would do a quick Nets corner. I don't want to give much time to this because this team is as purgatorial as it gets. But what do you think? Um, I think, here's what I think. One of my 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 last take was that Claxton is the most valuable net, but I can cover that in this too. Um, I get a ton of texts from Nets fans saying, where are we? What are we going to do? What's the next step? And my answer is, there is no next step. Let's just be patient. <laughs> Let's just ride this out. We don't have our picks. We have the Suns picks, which are going to be, I think, valuable in years to come. Um, but just enjoy any positive from the team. There are 12 and 9 right now. Um, they're playing great defense. They play hard on both ends. Mikhail Bridges is having a great last two weeks. Cam Thomas is a lightning bolt offensively. Claxton has been hurt a little bit, but when, when he's on the floor, he's my favorite player to watch in the NBA. And he's so important to a team. If the Nets ever become this playoff team competing in multiple round series, I think he's insanely valuable with, with his ability to switch onto multiple guys, guards through bigs too. Um, and I'm proud that the Nets are staying still right now, not trading everything for Dame. If they got Dame and paired him with, with Mikhail, what are we, the four seed, and we're losing in the, in the second round maybe? I think we need to be patient right now, understand that we've been here before and we saw us sign some stars that didn't work out, but if we're patient and understand where we are, I think a lot of good things can, can come for this fan base. 
And thoughts on just lastly, Cam Thomas's 24 points a game. Like for in, in 2023, what does Cam Thomas getting these kind of buckets? It was like 27 a game a week ago. It's been a shitty week for him. But is he closer to the Anthony Simons, Jordan Clarkson side of things? Or is this like, can this guy be like maybe the leading scorer, but not the best player on a really good team? I know a lot of pro Cam Thomas guys. I know a lot of anti Cam Thomas people. Um, I'm in the middle. I think he's an awesome player. I think he's an incredible scorer, as we saw. I don't know if he's the number one playmaking scorer on a team like he is right now for the Nets at the guard point with Mikhail playing more of that three or two for them. Um, but I think he's more towards that Jordan Clarkson, that Anthony Simons range, where it's awesome for him, by the way. Those are two really impactful players. Um, and I think if he's on a team that puts him in that situation where he can maybe be that spark plug off the bench, averaging 14 a game and taking care of possessions when a star player needs a break, I think that's the perfect role for him. Um, yeah. But I don't know if this is the 24 or 23 points per game for him is what we're going to see for years to come. I would love it. I'll take it. I think that they got him in the twenties. I had him number nine in that class. Um, I'm very proud of it, but I think he's, I think he's like a six man of the year, Lou Williams type guy long-term. Um, and so it's scary when he's scoring like this because guys who score like this get paid 20 million plus. Uh, and that's when the player becomes, you know, tough to situate can we discuss six man of the year candidate lonnie walker by the way averaging 14.6 points per game for the nets off the bench please um coming what was it game six lonnie last year or game four against the warriors for game the four mm-hmm. game four was it um seems to be translating well over here in brooklyn across the coast um they just coast have elite lonnie walker they have what is it they have eight players averaging double figures. This team is really deep. I think there's a lot of moves they can make at the trade deadline. If it's the right move, thinking about the future and not thinking about like, Oh, we have a chance to be the succeed and lose in five games to a top team. Um, right. But I think guys like Dorian Finney-Smith, Royce O'Neal, who are awesome players that can really impact winning for contenders. If they can bring over a pick or a young guy in like a, a, a bow champ, like, like uh, you were saying before, I think that can be a really smart move for this team, but I am just, I enjoy watching this team a lot lately, which has been not a common sentence I've been saying for the last few years for this team. Yeah, I have I have admittedly watched extremely limited Nets basketball this year. So it's good to get an, uh, an expert on the pod to shed a little bit of light on two questions. One, would you trade Dorian Finney-Smith for like Marjan Beauchamp and Bobby Portis? Or do you think you need more than that, like a first or something? And also is Ben Simmons still an NBA player? Um, I would trade Dorian Finney-Smith. I would prioritize picks more than a Bochamp with Bobby Portis just because this Nets team, their drafting history has been incredible. <clears throat> getting Claxton late, getting Cam Thomas late. Um, I have faith in Derek Whitehead, Jalen Wilson, and Noah Clowney, even though there's not been much so far. Um, Daron Sharp is a offensive rebounding machine, like one of the best in the, in the league right now. So I would prioritize uh picks but i think a bochamp is a really good player too to get and the bucks just don't have picks that's that's a tough one to go with and your second question of ben simmons being an nba player <laughs> that trade happened that was on a work call my door was locked and my roommate at the time was a is a diehard uh sixers fan and was banging on my door that it it uh, went down 
And the whole time I was, I was for getting rid of Harden just to move past the drama, but Simmons being the primary player coming back. Well, it was really Seth. It was really Seth, Seth Curry, if we're being honest. <laughs> um, but he's an NBA player. I just don't know if he's an NBA player on my team, but he did show some, there were some minutes this year where he looked active on both ends and creating for himself and others and playing defense. But uh, it's just an up and down road with him. I would say we uh, we love when the best thing we can say about someone is active. <laughs> ben Simmons is gone, uh, so yeah, that's a wrap. And I think it's looking. I'm not quitting on Scoot. My weak ass Blazers family is quitting on Scoot so quickly. I still think Scoot's going to be one of the best Blazers ever. The wheels are turning. He's figuring things out. It's really hard to be a point guard who's not big in the, in today's NBA. Um, and without entering the league without um, a consistent three point shot makes it all the more difficult. Um, but it feels more and more like the Blazers and the Nets should have made a deal uh, where McCall comes to us and we give you that third pick and you do whatever you want with it. Um, for a lot of the reasons you just mentioned. You asked me during the Dame saga before the trade went down, would I trade uh it was all it was like all of our picks and assets for Dane. And I said no, but I would trade you Mikhail Bridges for the third pick. Yeah. And I think that's still where I stand with a player like Scoop not giving up on him early in the career. Um, but just to go back to that point, I yeah. that's still where and, I stand. And the Blazers would would have been hoisting the in season tourney trophy last night. So uh, we're all in pain over this. Uh, mm. Speaking of tanking, because you mentioned prioritizing picks, which is just GM speak for being really bad. I know this because my team is doing this to me as we speak. Um, one of my takes that I had lined up for tonight, and I probably should have just tied this into the in-season tournament conversation, is like, I think this the end season tournament was the nail in the coffin for tanking because we we still had some of it after the implementation of the play in and they evened out the lottery odds you still saw two or three teams every year trying to suck um the pacers are maybe a team that would say all right we have our centerpiece in another season they might say we have our guy but um it's still in our best interest to have a couple more lottery picks and get the top end talent we need around Halliburton. um but the Pacers did the right thing and, you know, signed Bruce Brown, held on to Miles Turner after he was on the block for 17 years, um, you know, uh, didn't play Jairus, like pri had they prioritized guys who were ready to help them win now. And they had, you know, like a two week span for their fan base to remember. Um, so, yeah, I it, it just I don't know. This is just traumatized Blazers hat on now. But I, I, I think tanking is under control and i and i love what the league has done to combat it i wonder what would have happened if a team uh, it's impossible to say like detroit or san antonio because they don't have the wins to make the final four or the final yeah. eight it was but like if a team like charlotte or memphis had won it this year like would they come out of it now not looking to offload guys and are, are they saying oh we won the in-season tournament should <laughs> we get someone and move on which Honestly, is great for the league now, right? Yeah. Because now you're going to eliminate the tanking aspect there. And I think it would have been Indiana had too good of a record to really have that practice put you put into place. But like, I'm yeah. curious in the future, like, you know, if Chicago won it, they would not be trading anybody 
they'd be trading for somebody and giving up assets and they would be losing in the, in the, the uh, first round. But I'm curious yeah. to see what, what uh, happens in the future there. That's a great take. Yeah. If you, if you look across the league right now, like the Spurs didn't expect to be this bad, like whatever they say, like they, they, they were not supposed to be three and 18 um, with Wemby ready to go as a star. Uh, it's really just like the Blazers, the Pistons, the Wizards, and like the Hornets, the Miles Bridges thing, and Lamella's health. It they, like that's just been it's been a dark time for that franchise. Um, but a lot of these teams didn't enter the season trying to suck. Like I don't even the Pistons have been kind of like way way worse than I than I expected coming in. Yeah, and <clears throat> one other thing on the tanking is, and we talked about this a little bit in the lead up to the draft a few months ago, but in sort of going through past drafts, and I tweeted this the other day, by the way, follow us at Boris Dirk pod on Twitter. And the, in NBA drafts, there's like consistently a star between picks 11 and 15. And I don't really know exactly what that means, but usually when you go back through drafts, the 11 to 15 range is often a lot stronger than the six to 10. And yes, usually your best chance of getting a star is picking in the top five. But like people often talk about uh, what's the point of going for the nine seed or whatever, like you're just missing the playoffs and you're not getting any of that, but you're also not getting a high lottery pick. But honestly, if you look back at the last 10, 15 drafts, most of the time you'd rather you'd take the guys who went 11 to 15 before the guys who went six to 10. And I don't know if that's like a psyche thing where GMs are still trying to take the home run swing between six and 10. And then between 11 and 15, they just like take the guy who they know is going to be good. But like going back in time, too early to say with this past draft, but 2022 Jalen Williams, 12th pick 2020 Halliburton, 12th pick 2018 Shea, 11, 2017, you had Donovan Mitchell and bam, both, perennial all-stars at picks 13 and 14 oh so, no wait but what if you trade up and take zach collins you could always get zach collins and caleb swen again rest in peace to the goat sabonis 2016 at 11 devin booker pick 13 in 2015 zach levine pick 13 Giannis pick 15 clay was 11 and Kawhi was 15 like you can get stars between picks 11 and 15 you just yeah. have to have good scouting departments good player development so like yeah. yeah. Tanking is just not a foolproof strategy. You can build your team in a whole lot of different ways. I think that also comes back to what yeah. I started with saying, where it's like, if you are really good at one thing and focus on that, you can become really good at any level. And I think that also helps out there because a lot of those players that you named have a distinct skill set that they're really good at. And sure, they added on things when they came into the league, whether it be perimeter defense or creating up the bounds. But in that range from 11 to 15, you have teams that are on the cusp of competing. So they're taking guys there where it's like, who can take us over to that next step and fill that one gap that really huddles yeah. back. So I think that's, that's a really good finding there by you for that. And so. that's, and that's where you see guys like Jaime and Jordan Hawkins getting scooped up and also displaying ceilings that we previously haven't expected from upperclassmen. And, yeah. And, and, and a lot of these upperclassmen are, are getting picked in the middle of the first round entering the league ready to go, which gives them the minutes to then unlock further parts of their game and untapped ceiling, you know, all that. Um, I'm also just like, this is the first time the Blazers have really tanked since I became a big fan of the NBA. And it's, it has shifted my perspective. Um, like, it's so painful to know that your coach has infinite job security. And, 
your front office is a little bit bummed if you start stacking wins. It, it, it's a horrible feeling. And like we 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 shit on the regular season so much as NBA fans, maybe the in-season tournament and the play-in are helping with that. I can't stress how badly I'd love to just be the nine seed in the West right now. Like just mm-hmm. how how badly I my friends and I want to watch games that matter. Um and and see if Chauncey Billups can actually strategize. So yeah, man. Uh, if you're tanking in 2023, you're not only an embarrassment to the league, you're an embarrassment to your family. And um, that's I'm just going to leave it at that. As someone who lived through 12 and 70 with the Nets, we had a mascot called Sly Fox. He really helped. <laughs> so I would say find yourself a really good mascot that brings a cheer onto a 12 year old fan. Well, I have invented a cheer for the current Blazers for Duop Reed. Whenever he scores or he he airballs threes and I'll go, do up, 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 do up. That's our intro. Bring out the TikTok camera. We're officially after hours. Shit's getting weird in here. Okay. Um, I said all three of my takes. Does anyone have any like crazy bullets still in the holster? Andy, anything? Those are my three takes. Um I was not allowed to say my Austin Reeves take that he's incredible, but I'm just want to put my name on Austin Reeves Island and say that he's as good as it gets. And he's a playoff player. And we're going to be seeing the same thing that we saw last year, this year. I can guarantee that. Yeah. Nothing much else to add from me, except that I think the Phoenix Suns are a much better regular season than playoff team, but we've sort of discussed that already. And he's saying that about the seven seed. I think they're going to work their way up higher as they get more games with two of their stars yeah, on the yeah. court. But uh, yeah, too many mid-range jumpers, but we don't have to get into all that. Dryness in the desert. Okay. Um, yeah, I think that is all I have. Uh, and I before we close this, I just want to say we are not mentioning the Clippers or the Pelicans again on this podcast until at least the midseason mark. Yeah. And we might even mention the Atlanta Hawks for the first time. Bogdanovich is a dude. Um, all right. Uh, this has been the Boris Dirk podcast. It's been a true pleasure to share this flight with you all. And uh, we'll be back soon. Peace.